It's nearly 12 o'clock and time for the KMXT Midday Report. Thank you for listening to KMXT. On 100.1 FM, it is your public radio station broadcasting from beautiful downtown Kodiak, Alaska where we have 41 degrees under overcast skies out at the airport. Up here on Burrow Hill, a much warmer 47 degrees, according to the tiny thermometer clamp to the back porch. Out at the airport, they have northwest winds to 16 miles per hour, gusting to 24 and 10 miles of visibility. The Weather Service continues to say that we will only get rain until 1 p.m. today, then gradually mostly sunny skies. High near 45 today with north winds to 25, gusting to 35. Mostly clear overnight with a low of 38. West winds to 25, gusting to 40 tonight. And sunny skies tomorrow with a high near 47. Those west winds coming down to 15 and turning to the south tomorrow afternoon. Coming up on the Midday Report... For the first time in its history, the Bering Sea snow crab fishery will not open for the upcoming season. A timber company run by Yakutat's Village Corporation has dissolved. We'll find out why. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. A Connecticut jury says conspiracy theorist Alex Jones should pay $965 million to the families of the victims of the 2012 Sandy Hook Elementary School mass shooting. The InfoWars host and his company were previously found liable for damages in a separate trial for repeatedly claiming the shooting was a hoax. A largely symbolic vote on Russia comes down today in the U.N. General Assembly. 193 countries expected to declare their positions on a resolution that condemns Russia's attempt to illegally annex four Ukrainian territories, as President Vladimir Putin had done with Crimea in 2014. Meanwhile, Russia continues its attacks on civilian targets in Ukraine. At least 19 people killed in missile and drone strikes in the last two days. Appearing before a World Bank and IMF gathering today, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky urged allies to keep the military reinforcements coming. The more assistance Ukraine gets now, the sooner will come an end to the Russian war. And the sooner, uh, the more reliably we will guarantee that such a um, cruel war will not spread to, into other countries. Russia, a major oil producer, is waging a campaign that's having an impact on global energy. And Pierre's Camila Dominowski reports on new data projecting millions of people across the U.S. are likely to pay more to heat their homes this winter compared to last year. The Energy Information Administration, or EIA, notes that Russia's invasion of Ukraine pushed fuel prices up and that the scientists tracking weather at NOAA expect this winter to be colder than last year. So that means fuel will cost more and households will need more of it. About half of U.S. households heat their homes with natural gas. The EIA says on average they'll see heating bills jump 28% from last year. Homes that use electricity are projected to pay 10% more. The agency does not forecast any shortages, expecting growth in production to more than offset the rising demand. Camila Dominoski, NPR News. 
Hackers are flooding local election workers with malicious emails in states like Arizona and Pennsylvania. NPR's Jenna McLaughlin with details. Cybersecurity firm Trellix is tracking a drastic increase in malicious emails targeting local county election employees in battleground states during their primary elections. In Arizona, researchers noted an over 100% increase in malicious email detections just between the second and third quarter of the year. Some of those emails try to trick election workers into giving up their login credentials, while others lure the worker into clicking on a malicious link. The period prior to an election is especially vulnerable to tampering, as more people are registering to vote and workers are organizing the logistics of Election Day. The increased threat demonstrates the need for more resources for small election offices. Jenna McLaughlin, NPR News. The Dow closed down 28 points. This is NPR News. Ang NPR Balita ay hatid sa inyo ng Providence Kodiak Island Counseling Center. Para sa kaukulang impormasyon tungkol sa aming mga serbisyo, tumawag lamang sa 481-2400. For KMXT, I'm Terry Haynes. For the first time in its history, the Bering Sea snow crab fishery will not open for the upcoming season. Alaska's Department of Fish and Game announced the closure Monday afternoon. The Bristol Bay Red Crab King fishery will also be closed this year for a second year in a row. KMXT's Kirsten Dobroth reports. Gabriel Prout co-owns the FB Silver Spray with his dad and brothers. The Silver Spray is a 116-foot steel crabber that's homeported in Kodiak. He says he wasn't surprised that Fish and Game closed the king crab fishery. In a normal year, he'd go out for king crab too. But numbers have been on the decline, and that fishery didn't open last year either. The real shocking part is the total, complete collapse of the snow crab fishery, which no one expected last year when it happened, and now uh, a complete closure this year was equally as shocking. Miranda Westfall is an area management biologist with Alaska's Department of Fish and Game. She says the sudden decline in snow crab came as a shock to biologists, too. Back in 2018, there was record recruitment in the Bering Sea snow crab stock. Those numbers started to go down in 2019, and there was no survey in 2020 due to the pandemic. Then in 2021, when they surveyed, we saw the largest decline we've ever seen in the snow crab population, um, which was very startling, I think, for everyone. It wasn't something we expected. We, you know, were expecting to have this record recruitment come through the population. The quota was down about 90 percent from 2020, and this year's numbers were even worse, according to Westfall, prompting the fishery's closure. Westfall says they're not totally sure what caused the snow crab collapse, but they suspect warmer ocean conditions caused by climate change may be partly to blame. Sixty or so boats normally go out for Bering Sea snow crab, according to Westfall. Prout, the Kodiak fisherman, says a deckhand might make fifty to $80,000 in a good year, and the ex-vessel value for one boat is more than a million dollars. There is a small tanner crab fishery slated to open later this month in the Bering Sea. Prout says that's a band-aid, though. It really has been in the past a kind of a bonus when you have to fish that alongside the snow crab, but seeing as there's no snow crab this year with the closure... Um, we're contemplating whether or not we should even make the trip out west with the high fuel prices. He estimates that right now it costs about $100,000 in fuel round trip to make it to the Bering Sea fishing grounds. The price of steel needed to maintain the silver sprays more than 200 crab pots has also jumped. He and his family are still waiting on fishery disaster payments to come through from the federal government for past poor seasons and closures. 
Prout says his family tenders in Prince William Sound during the summers. They're already eyeing that season to make up some of the financial loss from the crab closure, but others won't have many options. People are really going to have to make some hard calls here on whether that's selling out completely of their quota shares, selling their vessels, uh, looking for other opportunities in other fishing sectors, which are few and far between. Fishermen are really going to be hurting the next year. Meanwhile, Westfall says there could be more declines in the number of snow crabs over the next few years before the population starts to rebound. In Kodiak, I'm Kirsten Dobrath. A timber company run by Yakutat's Village Corporation is dissolving. Yak Timber was created four years ago to harvest 21 million board feet of timber on land owned by Yak Tat Kwan, Incorporated. The logging subsidiary has since harvested about three-quarters of that and shipped it to China, according to its website. As Coast Alaska's Angela Denning reports, Yak Timber is shutting down after pushback from shareholders on a proposal to log an important island just outside of town. Yak Timber's logging has been controversial in Yakutat, a village of about 600 people in the Gulf of Alaska. As a subsidiary company, it's supposed to extract value from corporation land holdings to fund dividends for shareholders. But Yakutat's tribal and municipal governments, plus a significant number of shareholders, have spoken out against past clearcuts that they feared would damage salmon habitat and endanger their way of life. More recently, Yak Timber has faced backlash over a proposal to log corporation land on nearby Kantak Island. Kantak is considered a barrier island for our community. Mary Knudsen is the cultural heritage director for Yakutat's tribe. It literally sits right in front of town and blocks all of the harsh storms that come off the Gulf of Alaska. And so it prevents us from having high-speed winds and, you know, it protects from tsunamis. Yak Timber plan to log the island by thinning rather than clear-cutting, picking specific trees and leaving most of the forest intact. In a letter to shareholders, parent company Yak Tat Kwan Incorporated says the decision to log the island was made in the community's best interest. The corporation says it had hoped to use the revenue from the timber harvest to fund new business ventures and help community members build homes. But that was still too much for many. Knutson says besides the island being important geographically, it's culturally significant. Before we had the process of burying people in one specific location, we would also cremate them, which would then make the trees culturally modified trees, right? So we haven't been able to do enough exploration over there as the tribe to be able to say where all of the specific locations could be. None of the streams that are over there are cataloged by the state currently, so they don't have anadromous protections. That's Hava Roloff, the tribe's fisheries biologist who has been hiking around Kantak. She says even though state biologists haven't recorded ocean-going fish in the streams, they're perfect for coho salmon. It's all ideal coho habitat. It just screams coho habitat. So that's my goal right now is just kind of mapping the whole stream network out there and making sure that if coho are utilizing those streams that they're documented and that they'll be protected. Yaktak Kwan cites opposition to the Kantak logging operation as its reason for shutting down. With debts coming due and no viable source of revenue, the corporation's board says it was left with no choice but to dissolve Yak Timber and sell its assets. Yak Timber and Yaktak Kwan Incorporated did not respond to requests for comment. 
But some shareholders say they're not to blame for Yak Timbers shutting its doors. If you read the fine print, that's what it sounds like. It's, it's our fault that we didn't let them go do this. Jason Jensen is a shareholder descendant who worked for a company that Yak Timber contracted to load its timber onto ships. Pretty much all the shareholders here have the same mindset that it sounds like they're trying to pass the blame on the shareholders for them not being a successful business venture. Jensen says shareholders weren't privy to the corporation's finances and there's been a problem with transparency. Meanwhile, he says the timber company set itself up for failure by taking out loans, acquiring equipment, and getting into more debt without communicating with shareholders. It just seemed like every step of the way there was a roadblock, there was something, canceled meetings, canceled elections, and nonstop stuff in the road to, to block the shareholders from getting the information that they wanted. And so at some point in time, the number came out that there was like $14 million in loans. And the collateral was land that the shareholders never agreed to give up. Yaktak Kwan says the company plans to sell all of Yak Timber's equipment and assets at an auction in Seattle in the coming months. Reporting in Petersburg, I'm Angela Denning. Over 100 visitors boarded the U.S. Coast Guard cutter Kimball in Unalaska earlier this month. The vessel calls the vessel calls Honolulu home, but recently it's seen a lot of actions in the Aleutians. Just last month, while on routine patrol, the ship encountered a group of Russian and Chinese warships traveling together through the Bering Sea. The Kimball's commander recalled the encounter during a recent port call in Unalaska. KUCB's Maggie Nelson has more. We were out patrolling and um, encountered them as they were moving, moving east in the Bering Sea. Captain Thomas D'Arcy lays out a map in his office and points to the Western Aleutians. We tracked them from about Kiska Island and then down through the pass. So I'm, I'm assuming that they, they came up uh, into Bowers Ridge area, you know, and, and moved in formation. He says the path the foreign ships took was similar to that of a group of Chinese vessels that the Coast Guard tracked and followed in the region just about a year ago. The 418-foot Kimball, which carries about 120 crew members, defensive weapons, and a helicopter, came within about a mile of the group and made radio contact with them. DRC says crew members on the warships responded, but never declared who was coordinating the formation. While the group didn't break any rules or give reason for direct contact, DRC says the Kimball accompanied the ships until they passed into the Pacific side of the Aleutian Islands, where they split up. He says they encountered the warships in the Bering Sea, but the formation never entered U.S. territorial waters. NATO officials have warned of a strategic Arctic partnership between Russia and China that challenges the organization's values and interests. DRC says Russia's persistence to militarize and develop a presence in the Arctic is concerning, but he says the Coast Guard would be present anyway. Part of their duty is to ensure that the U.S. sovereign interests are protected and to spend more time in the Arctic. The most important you know, piece for the Coast Guard is to make sure that we're there and that we're observing what's happening. Uh, whether it's a, a foreign vessel that's coming up to do research or another, another uh, naval vessel from a different country that's operating in that area, especially if it's anywhere near our, our interested waters that we're, we're present. Just about two weeks after spotting the foreign warships, the Kimball crew welcomed more than 100 guests for tours while docked up at Unalaska's spit. DRC says he was excited to host the community especially after about two years of limited interaction with locals 
due to the COVID-19 pandemic. It's great to have the crew interact with the local community. The Coast Guard's presence has been here since like 1880s. Uh, you know, we've, we've been part of Onalaska. We're not always the same uh, ship or the same crew, but I think um, being able to demystify what we're doing here was one of the goals that we had for this visit. Visitors boarded the ship throughout the day. About half of them were school-aged kids, DRC says. We had stations out um, where they could try on gear, uh, ask questions from our specialists, whether that was our, you know, our cooks or maritime law enforcement specialists. We had our unmanned aerial surveillance uh, aircraft out. DRC says the event is meant to show on Alaskans that the Coast Guard cares about their well-being and safety. He says it's also a great chance for the crew to get to know the island community. When we said, hey, we want to do open open tours, and we, we had more volunteers than we needed. And uh, everyone was like, can I, can I wear my, my SDBs, my fancy uniform? And, and I would like to, like to show off all of our uniforms. And they're eager uh, to, to show what, what they do. And, uh, and it makes me proud. This is DRC's second trip to Unalaska, and it's the Kimball's second deployment to the state. Right now, the ship is about two months into its roughly three-month station in the area. DRC didn't comment on the strategic implications of the foreign warships the Kimball encountered last month, but he says the cutter is staged for just about anything and will continue monitoring the area for foreign military activity. Um, Kimball will be ready and, and respond, but if there is no foreign presence and no, no uh, threat there, uh, no, no adversarial strategic competitor operating in our waters, then we, you know, we shift to the next um, tasking and priority. For now, the Kimball will continue patrolling near Unalaska and the Bering Sea region and into the Arctic. As the fall weather builds and fishing seasons begin picking up, the RC says the crew is preparing for weather-related accidents and enforcement of fishing regulations. In Unalaska, I'm Maggie Nelson. The Alaska Department of Environmental Conservation is investigating a large fuel spill at the new Vitus Terminal in Bethel. KYUK's Emily Schwing reports. Last Saturday, Bernie Nowicki says DEC received a call. 200 gallons of gasoline had spilled at the Vitus Fuel Terminal in Bethel. Follow-on conversation led to believe that the spill was approximately 2,000 gallons. Nowicki, DEC's Western Region On-Scene Coordinator, says a preliminary investigation pinpoints the source of the leak to some loose flange bolts on one of the tanks. Well, the good thing is it's, it's remained in containment. Uh, the responsible party, Vitus Energy, they was taking appropriate action to recover as much of the free product as, as possible in a containment. With the gasoline, it's a lot of quick evaporation. Uh, will they ever recover the full 2,000 gallons? Uh, that's, that's, that's all debatable. The Vitus fuel terminal was built last year. The brand new facility is designed to contain spills and Nowicki says environmental damage will likely be minimal. Uh, when they laid the ground out, they built it up, they put a, a rubberized liner down throughout the whole containment area and it, and it goes up over top of the, the dike berm sidewalls as well. And that liner is sealed and there's, there's uh, quality control checks as they're going through that process to ensure that this thing is, is, will not leak. In an email, a spokesperson for Vitus Energy said there were no injuries. The company doesn't believe any wildlife was impacted, and they have no reason to believe anyone forced their way into the facility. In Bethel, I'm Emily Schwing.
Today's KMXT Local News is brought to you in part by Discover Kodiak, a one-stop source for visitor information on Kodiak and other destinations around the state. On the web at Kodiak.org and at the Visitor Center in the Ferry Terminal Building at 100 Marine Way, 486-4782. Read Diverse, Read Indie on Insight Daily Radio. Conversations with today's most influential authors from the world of independent publishing. For many students and parents, navigating learning during and through COVID was an incredibly difficult and challenging task. Author Katie Novak, an internationally renowned education consultant and college graduate instructor with two decades of experience in teaching and administration, addresses these issues and more in the new and revised edition of her book, UDL Now. Universal Design for Learning, or UDL, is a framework to improve and optimize teaching and learning for all people based on scientific insights into how humans learn. UDL can provide practical insights and savvy strategies to help all learners succeed in a post-pandemic world using its principles. We spoke with her about this important and interesting book. The administrators and teachers that I continue to work with are absolutely hungry for learning the strategies that can help them to better prepare students for success. So anyone who thinks that the desire or the intent is not there, I would absolutely say it is. And what we're often lacking is a shift in mindset of what is our responsibility to build up this engagement, to help students self-regulate, to help them pay attention, but embracing the fact that students very much had disrupted social lives for a while and very disrupted attention and getting students to really like put in the stamina necessary now for learning is definitely challenging. That's author and educator Katie Novak on her book, UDL Now, which has just been released and is available wherever books are sold. Read Diverse, Read Indie is presented by the Independent Book Publishers Association. Are you planning to vote in the November 8th general election? If so, your voting location might have changed since you last voted. That's why it's important to make sure you have a voting plan before Election Day on November 8th. Can't make it? Request a by-mail ballot by October 29th or make a plan to vote early in person. Visit elections.alaska.gov to find your polling place and more. This message paid for by the Alaska State Division of Elections. This is the Island Messenger, a look at personal messages, the weather, and community announcements. Good afternoon and welcome to Wednesday. It is the 12th day of October, the year 2022. The sun rose today at 8.38. It will set again at 7.12. That will give us 10 hours and 34 minutes of daylight, a loss of 4 minutes and 54 seconds compared to yesterday. A record high for this date was 58 degrees, set in 1983 and 1986, and a record low was 12, set in 1924. Currently, 41 degrees at the airport, 47 degrees up here on Signal Hill. There's been a disparity there all day. Northwest winds to 16, gusting to 24 at the airport right now, where they have 62% humidity and 10 miles of visibility. The Weather Service is calling for our skies to become mostly sunny this afternoon, high near 54. 
45 rather, north winds to 25 gusting to 35. Mostly clear tonight with a low around 38 with west winds to 25 gusting to 40. And sunny skies tomorrow with a high near 47, west winds to 15, turning to the south in the afternoon. We have an incoming tide. Our next high tide will be at 3.55 this afternoon here on the east side. That will be a 9.6 foot tide. Our next low tide will be a slight minus tide. That will happen at 10.29 this evening and be minus 6 tenths. Over on the west side, your high tide will happen at 4.25 this afternoon and be 15.3 feet in Larson Bay. That will be followed by a low tide at 11.02 this evening of minus 1.2 feet. Mariners, here's your forecast for Marmot Island to Sitkanak, Kodiak's east side offshore. Gale warning through tonight. North 25, increasing to 35 knots this afternoon. Seas to 11 feet. For tonight, northwest 35, turning to the west and coming down to 25 after midnight. Seas to 12 feet. And for tomorrow, northwest 20, seas to 9 feet. They are calling for east 35 on Friday and seas to 11 feet. Over in the Shelikoff Strait, gale warning for today, north 35 today, seas to 9 feet, northwest 25 tonight, seas to 5 feet, and for tomorrow, west 20, seas to 4 feet, coming down to 2 feet, but back up to 4 feet on Thursday night in the Shelikoff. The Kodiak City Council will be having a regular council meeting tomorrow. That's happening at 7.30 p.m. in the Kodiak Public Library. The meeting's open to the public, and the public is also encouraged to tune in right here at KMXT on 100.1 FM. The meeting will also be web-streamed, and that link and meeting packets are available at the City of Kodiak website. If you need more information, please contact the City Clerk at 907-8636. The following are the upcoming Kodiak Island Borough public meetings. The Solid Waste Advisory Board will be having their regular meeting in the Projects Office Conference Room on Wednesday, October 12th at 5.15 p.m. The Planning and Zoning Commission will be having a work session in the Borough Conference Room on Wednesday, October 12th at 6.30 p.m. The Assembly will be having a work session in the Assembly Chambers on Thursday, October 13th at 6.30 p.m. Fire Protection Area No. 1 will be having its board meeting in the Bayside Fire Hall on Wednesday, October 18th at 6 p.m., and the Assembly will be having their regular meeting in the Assembly Chambers on Thursday, October 20th at 6.30 p.m. All meetings are open to the public, and packets are available on the Kodiak Island Borough website. Contact the Borough Clerk's Office at 907-486-9310 with any questions. Assembly meetings will be live-streamed on the Kodiak Island Borough YouTube channel. Subscribe to get live-stream notifications. Also happening tomorrow, a, an event put on by the State of Alaska's Office of Substance Misuse and Addiction and Prevention, that's OSMAP. They're excited to invite the community to a community cafe happening. It's the focus will be hearing from the people of Kodiak about issues related to polysubstance abuse, overdose, and substance use disorders. Information provided by the community will, will directly inform the upcoming statewide opioid and polysubstance use action plan. All members of the community are welcome. The voices of those directly impacted by 
polysubstance use, overdose, and substance use disorders, as well as input from professionals who serve those who are impacted, is especially critical to developing solutions that work for Alaska's. And refreshments will be provided. If you have any questions about the event, please let them know. I'm looking for the phone number. The event starts at 3 p.m. at the Fognac Center over on Alamac Drive on Near Island. Check-in starts at 3 p.m. The actual events will begin at 3.30 p.m. RSVPs are welcome. You can email Monica at monica at goveventservices.com. That's monica at g-o-v-e-v-e-n-t services.com. And again, that's happening tomorrow. Registration starts at 3 p.m. at the Fognac Center on Alamac Drive. And it's the opportunity for you to get your two cents into the state about misuse, overdose, and substance abuse disorders. Join the Kodiak Balalaika players at the Kodiak Public Library on Saturday. They're, they'll be playing from 2 to 3 p.m. Join them for an hour of ethnic folk music. That's this Saturday, October 15th, from 2 to 3 p.m. at the Kodiak Public Library. The, the award-winning Kodiak Shakespeare's are proud to present their opening production of the season, She Kills Monsters, by Cheen Wen. Set in 1995, the play follows Agnes playing a Dungeons and Dragons game left behind by her recently deceased younger sister. It's full of renegade characters, has a demon queen, a dark elf, even a foul-mouthed fairy, as well as demonic cheerleaders and a giant eyeball monster. It's the perfect show to bring you into the Halloween spirit. Join Agnes as she undertakes a quest to retrieve her sister's soul from the evil dragon in a play with amazing stage combat sequences, a live heavy metal band, and tons of Gen X references. Performances will take place at the Gerald C. Wilson Auditorium. It will be running from Thursday, October 13th, that's tomorrow, through Saturday, October 16th at 7 p.m. Matinee performances on Saturday the 15th and Saturday, Sunday the 16th at 2 p.m. Tickets are a mere $15 for adults and $5 for students and are available at the door. For more information, contact Jared Griffin at 907-942-1903 or Griffin, G-R-I-F-F-I-N, Jared, J-A-R-E-D-1, at gmail.com. The Hospice and Palliative Care of Kodiak is hosting a Remembrance Altar workshop on Saturday and Sunday at Rooted Kodiak. Sometimes the best way to move through your grief journey is through making something meaningful with your hands. Bring mementos, photos, small treasures, etc. from a past loved one, and along with the guidance of artist Bonnie Dillard, create a beautiful tribute piece to hang on your wall. The Hospice and Palliative Care of Kodiak will provide the space and materials for people to create a meaningful piece that holds memories of a lost loved one. For more information and to register, call them up at 907-512-0600 or hpck.org. But again, that's both days this weekend at Rooted Kodiak. Listen for the Island Messenger here on Public Radio KMXT three times a day. Monday through Friday at 9 a.m., 
during the midday report at 12.20 and in the evening at 7 o'clock. If you have a community announcement or personal message, including lost and found items or pets, you can call KMXT at 486-3181, fax us at 486-2733, or email psa at kmxt.org.